If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, bringing you a bonus break. If you have been listening for a few years, you may recall the bonus breaks. They are solo episodes, typically a little bit shorter, although this one is not a little bit shorter, that provide you with some actionable advice that you can use to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I wanted to bring you this bonus break because in December of last year, I did a webinar that helped our attendees understand how to use scenario simulations to prepare for the second year of a recession. Really, to not just put together a recession plan, but to stress test that recession plan. As I said, it was a webinar, and what we've done is we have stripped out the video file and adding just the audio file for our podcast listeners. The original webinar was exclusively for executive directors, but again, really wanted to share it with our full audience. So let's roll into the webinar, and I hope that this bonus break gives you some actionable tips that you can use to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. All right, we are going to go ahead and get started. I want to be super respectful of everyone's time. I My assumption is some folks will be joining us as we continue with the webinar. Just a couple of quick highlights. Feel free to mute your video if you want. That is typically what most people are doing. Please do mute your audio as well. I think everyone or almost everyone has muted their audio already, so thank you. Also, if you've got a question, just so you're aware, we are uh, recording this, and we may end up releasing this through our podcast stream at Successful Nonprofits. And so consequently, if you've got a question, what I would ask is if you type it into the chat box or just type it to Lexi Linger, who is my colleague and a co-host of the webinar today, then she'll kind of sort through those and also ask those questions just so that way you're not identifying yourself on what may end up being a public podcast as well. So 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I am thrilled that you are here to have this conversation about steps that your organization can take really for the second year of the recession. I'm also super grateful because I think I know personally many of the folks who are on this call. So I'm not going to do really much of an introduction. I think for the most part, folks who have registered are either familiar with me because they know me personally or are familiar with me through the podcast. But so let's just kind of start and talk about really what is sort of the fact that the second year of the recession is pretty much always harder on nonprofits than the first year of the recession. And when we talk about it being harder, it's not just financially harder, because part of what's happened is as organizations, we have survived the first year, but we have spent money. We've also spent emotional energy. And in some cases, we may have gone back to donors or funders and asked them for a little something extra to help us get through that first year. And of course, if you're an organization with facilities or major equipment, and I think most of those folks on the webinar today do have facilities or equipment, you know, oftentimes what you'll do is you'll postpone some facility expenses or some equipment expenses thinking, well, you know, next year it might be better. And so consequently, you have these postponed expenses that at some point you've just got to lay out. And then also, you know, frankly, your board oftentimes gets to that second year and they're feeling a little worn out, not just because of the organization having to continue to scrimp and stretch, but also because in their work life and in their home life, they might be doing that as well. And so there's a lot of things that go beyond just funding and fundraising that cause you as an organization to enter that second year just a little bit stretched. And of course, since everyone on this chat is an executive director, also you're entering the second year feeling a little frazzled and worn out probably as well because you have literally been stretching yourself in order to make ends meet throughout the first year of the recession. And the other thing that's happens, though, is your ecosystem has also been under strain for the first year of the recession. And so this means not just, you know, financial items like the economy or your donors who might be just starting to feel the pinch of the recession or funders who maybe stepped up in the first year but not necessarily planning to step up in the second year. So in addition to those financial things, you also will often experience an increase in community needs. This is true whether you are a community center, a workforce development agency, or an organization that serves youth or the arts or anything like that, because the community has been needing more from you with less of an ability to maybe actually pay for those services and those programs. Additionally, you'll see that legislatures start to feel that strain as well. I think that's going to be especially true in the second year of this recession, where state legislators and local municipal and county uh, council members are definitely going to be feeling that strain because all state budgets and all municipal budgets have taken a hit during the first year of this recession, and they will feel very strained next year. And then the last thing that happens, and thankfully we've not seen this in the first year of this recession, but we often see this in a second, is we also see that credit starts to tighten, that bankers start to look at their loan portfolios and say, hmm, it seems like maybe we've got some risky portfolios out there and we need to carefully underwrite um, loans either when we're originating them or when we're renewing them. 
And for most of us in the nonprofit sector, if we've got a line of credit, that line of credit is typically renewed every year or every other year. Now, when we look at the last recession, and I tried to kind of lay this across, the last recession started in the very end of 2007 and lasted until the middle of 2009. So it was actually not a 24-month recession. It was you know, actually closer to about a 20-month recession. But what we saw is it started in late 2007, but most people and most nonprofits were really not feeling the pinch until seven or eight months into 2008. And then what we, what we saw are many of the big banks that became insolvent. Obviously, we all, we all remember the housing market imploded, and immediately following that, the stock market plummeted. And we don't know, I don't know for certain that that's going to happen in this, in the second year of this recession. But what we do know is the strain that we just talked about from this first year is going to have some impact on the second year. And that's one of the reasons why, when we look at the last recession, more nonprofits went out of business, closed their doors, and dissolved in 2009 than they did in 2008. They struggled and made it through 2008, but even though the recession ended mid-year in 2009, they just could not make it all the way through their, their 2009 year. And so we just, we know, again, just statistically, that the last year of the recession is going to be harder, and it's always been harder. Are there any questions that folks want to write in the chat box before we talk about how we can start to prepare ourselves for this second year of the recession? All right, I will take that for a no, and we will keep moving forward. So one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we were all just kind of clear about is that there's really no cookie-cutter approach for a recession plan. And the reason is it is unique to exactly who you are as an organization. And so as an example, there are a number of community centers that have signed up for this webinar. And when we look at the community centers that have signed up for the webinar, each community center has its own challenges and has things that may be happening with it um, that would really impact what that plan would look like. So there's no cookie cutter. I mean, obviously, what you want to think about are your threats. You want to be thinking about your opportunities and also what resources you have to mitigate those threats and leverage those opportunities. And so that's why today we are going to really be talking about a framework that you can use to start to work through some of this so that when curveballs of the second year of the recession start to get thrown at you, you're ready for them. And, you know, frankly, you're, you're ready to succeed. So the first step is to really identify the greatest threats and the greatest opportunities for your organization. And I kind of want to walk through a few examples of maybe some threats that organizations may face in the second year. There could be government funding cuts. And obviously, those may happen at the federal level. But I believe the second year of this recession, that is much more likely to happen at the state and city and county level. And again, the reason is states and cities and counties have really been strained during the first year of the recession. And specifically, what, what, what I mean when I say that is that their tax revenues have plummeted. Their 
hotel-motel tax, their sales tax, and a lot of cases, even their property tax revenues, because a lot of entities and people are not able to even pay their property tax right now. And so if I'm a betting person, we're going to see funding cuts at the state and the local level, because many of these entities actually have balanced budget requirements and do not have the same credit facility and ability to borrow that the federal government does. I also, if I'm a betting person, think we'll probably see some drop in fundraising revenue. Not everyone has been impacted by the first year of the recession financially, but some people are. And as the recession wears on, more people will will feel that impact and they will be less likely to give. So we've talked about two financial examples, but as you're really identifying your greatest threats, once again, it goes well beyond just finances. So remember we talked about that staff fatigue, the staff just feeling worn out after the first year of the recession. They've already felt on edge. Not only is there a pandemic, but they're also concerned, is the organization going to have furloughs? Is it going to lay me off? What are we going to do? Then think about unexpected leadership transitions. This might be in the chief executive role, but it also could be in roles that report to the chief executive. Maybe an unexpected transition with a development director or a COO or kind of leading to the next one, a governance crisis. Imagine your board, which is feeling really strained, and you suddenly have a board chair who just calls you up out of the blue and says, okay, you know, I hate to do this, but I don't think I can serve as your chair next year, and you've only got two months to find a new chair. Or I don't think I can serve as your chair. Or even worst case scenario, governance crisis, your board really starts to split and you end up with half of your board resigning. This does happen. Even in the best of times, this happens. Those are governance crises that will, can threaten your organization. And then think about possible public relations crises. So, for example, if the community you serve, if their needs are increasing and you're not able to meet those needs, and maybe you get bad press from that, or perhaps as an organization, you made the strategic decision in 2020 to postpone some facility or infrastructure expenditures, and suddenly you've got a roof that is that is leaking every time it rains, or you have got an elevator that is completely out of commission now and you can't afford to fix it because it's not in your 2021 budget. That's not just a financial issue, but it also becomes a public relations issue as people start to realize that even if it doesn't hit the media, your donors and your funders will start to realize that. And then the last possible threat is the instability of an organizational partner. So if there is another nonprofit that you often partner with and their stability is important for you, maybe it's because they rent space in your building, but maybe it's because you partner with them in serving clients. And if they suddenly cut back on services or if they suddenly just cease operation, you're not able to serve your clients as well. All of those are just examples of some very clear threats for a lot of nonprofits going into 2021. Again, I kind of just wanted to share these as examples. Every organization is going to have some very unique threats. And what's going to be critically important is that you think through what your unique threats are, because your ability to plan is really based on your ability to look out in the future and determine what is a likely threat and what is an unlikely threat. And that varies from organization to organization. So step two, what I want you to start to think about is putting together a scenario simulation that you are going to run through with your team. 
what we know is corporations do this, government entities do this, not even just at the federal level, but small municipal governments will put together scenario simulations where they'll say, for example, okay, what happens if we have a sanitation strike? And then they'll run through the simulation. So here are some folks who you should be thinking about including in your simulation. At a minimum, you want to make sure you've got your management team, even if you're part of a smaller organization, say an organization that only has five, six, seven staff, you probably still have a core management team of two, three, or four people who really are your go-to people. And so at a minimum, when you think about doing this simulation, you want to have your management team as part of it. What's even better is if you include your board's executive committee, because keeping in mind that part of what you're doing is you are building your organization's resilience and your organization's ability to respond, and your board and your executive committee are a part of that. And that is why what is ideal, and I'm going to make the assumption that most people don't have a 25-person board. If you do, this might not be ideal, but assuming you have a 10 to 15-person board, what is ideal is that you, your management team, and your full board do at least one or two simulations together. Now, as we walk through what these simulations look like, let me also say you could choose to do some hybrids. You could choose to say, okay, as a management team, we're going to take one simulation and we're going to play through that simulation and we're going to do that every other week. We're going to take two hours every other week and do that. You can't do that with your board, but you can have one simulation activity or two simulation activities with your full board. So as you start to get ready for your, for your simulation, you definitely want to find a facilitator. You want someone who is not going to be a participant in the simulation. And so that means as the chief executive, you probably can't facilitate it. Um, it also means that Assuming you, if, for example, your executive committee is involved, you probably want your board president as an actor in the simulation. And so you do not, you're not going to be able to have them really be the facilitator. Um, the person should also be a strategic thinker. They shouldn't, they should not have a stake in this. So they should be someone who's able, who is able to kind of step outside of whatever stake they have in the organization and think about this in an impartial way while still being really compassionate to folks. The last piece, of course, is they've got to be trusted. I want to share some thoughts about prospective facilitators. I don't think you necessarily need a consultant to do this. And let me be clear and let me repeat that. I do not think you need a consultant necessarily to be your facilitator. A board vice chair, a board secretary, or a board treasurer might be a great facilitator. Again, as long as they have those qualifications. Um, also, a trusted, I can't say this enough, but a trusted former board member or even even or maybe even a trusted prior board chair, someone who has stayed involved with the organization even though they're not still on the board, who you think would come in and be a strategic thinker and impartial and trusted and helping to lead the facilitation. And then another possibility is maybe to look at your governance committee chair. You know, the, the governance committee is essentially the committee that's responsible for governing your board. So if you have a governance committee chair, maybe look at them. I will say, you know, last-ditch effort, maybe look at a consultant. But I think ideally, if you can source this internally or close by with a former board member or prior board chair, I think that's going to be ideal for you.
And then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to prepare some resource documents. Well, let me back up. This is also making the assumption that once you have that facilitator, you take them aside, you explain to them what the greatest threats are, and then, and I've got a slide in a minute about what they're actually going to need to prepare. In fact, I think I might have gotten these two slides out of order. And so, um, but so, yeah, so, so let me jump back to the, or, the correct order here. So what you'll do is you'll sit down with the facilitator and you'll need to make sure that they understand that after you have shared with them what the threats are, they need to come up with what the hypothetical scenario is going to be. So no one who's actually participating should actually walk into that room knowing what the big issue is going to be. And so your facilitator will probably need to draft a kind of a one-page initial scenario but then also should include some if-then options that will be revealed by the facilitator during the exercise itself. And those options should also, quite frankly, include some what I've thought of as wildcard surprises. So let me give you some examples of these. So the facilitator might, and, and let me back up. So as an example, the facilitator might say, okay, you received notice from your state funder that they are not going to be able to renew your grant or any grant um, for this particular funding source in the coming year. They've notified you of this with only two months notice. And so that's kind of what the first page scenario may start to lay out. And then the facilitator has these if-then and wild cards that they're able to pull out as the group is making some core decisions about how they're going to respond. And so again, here are just some examples. If pay is reduced or if furloughs are implemented, then a key staff member leaves six weeks later. Or another great example, if services are reduced, a prominent local blogger takes aim at the organization. So again, a little bit of PR crisis then. But then the facilitator should also have some wild cards that they just decide to pull out. And, you know, they, they might probably prepare five or six wild cards and pull out the one that they think is most likely based on the, the group's decisions about how they are going to move this forward. And so a good example of the wild card is staff say, okay, if more is being required of us because you're furloughing some people, we demand more paid time off. That could be a wild card, and that could be a real management issue for the organization. Another one is that an equipment or a building system requires an emergency replacement. Those are often good ones to throw in there because they're expensive. Replacing an elevator car costs about $100,000 to $150,000, and that's if you're doing it on the cheap. Replacing an HVAC system for a large building, a 40,000, 50,000 square foot building, can cost half a million dollars. So those are good wild cards to use because they're not inexpensive. So they're going to have these if-then state, these if-then conditions, as well as some wild cards. They're going to prepare all of this ahead of time. Now, what then the other thing that management needs to do is they need to prepare the documents that the group is going to use as they work through the scenario. As I think about the minimum documents that the group should have in walking into this scenario, they should have a financial statements and also a cash flow statement, ideally for three months, but I'm sorry, at least three months, ideally for six or 12 months. 
They should probably have three years of IRS Forms 990 just so they can see what the historical perspective is. It's ideal if that's summarized by a few charts, two or three charts, not 20, but not necessary for them to be summarized by charts. For there to be an org chart, so that way everyone can see which staff are there and what those staff do. If you've got a current strategic plan, a high-level summary of that plan, the bylaws, some program data, and then also your board list with term limits, keeping in mind that maybe some of those wild cards are that a board member or even maybe the board chair gets transferred across the country. And because they want to keep their job, they have no choice but to move across the country and step off the board. Now, we're, I guess we'll just jump right into the to how you're going to host the scenario simulation. So as I think about an ideal agenda, your, facil- your facilitator is going to welcome people and probably have about 15 minutes of just instructions. Let's say you've got five members of your management team, and then you've got 12 board members. That's 17 people. That's a lot of people all to be in one group. So as an example, in this case, then your facilitator would say, we're going to break out into two groups, and we're going to just count off one, two, one, two, one, two. We just have to make sure the board chair and the executive director are not in the same group. And then they'll walk through the instructions. And essentially, okay, you're going to review the case scenario to start with. You've got these other documents that you've prepared ahead of time, like your cash flow statement and your org chart. And now, as as separate groups, you're going to walk through how you think you should be responding to this very specific issue, whether it's a funding cut, whatever it might be, whatever you believe your organization's greatest threat is likely to be in this recession. And then for about two hours, both of those groups are going to work through that simulation. And of course, your facilitator is checking in regularly. And then as they make some decisions, some of those wild cards get laid out on the table. And part of what the groups need to understand is they can't go back and undo the decision. So if a wild card gets laid on the table, you can't say, oh, oops, never mind. We want to go back 20 minutes. The wild card's on the table, and you've got to move it forward. The same way we have to do in real life when we make a tough decision, and then there's an outcome maybe that we were not anticipating. After about two hours, the facilitator will bring both groups back to talk about the ways in which they were going to address this issue, as well as some of the unanticipated consequences that came up as they were addressing the issue. And then... The final 30 minutes after that debrief is to really walk through what your next steps are as an organization and what your follow-up is going to be. Before we talk about those next steps and the follow-up, I also have to share this one slide. As a chief executive, it's very easy for us to be the hippo in the room, and the hippo is the highest paid person in the organization. And one of the things that I love about using the hippo metaphor is that while many people don't know this, hippos are the most dangerous animal on the continent of Africa. They kill more human beings every year than lions do. So while we don't think of hippos as dangerous, and as executive directors, we don't think of ourselves as dangerous, when we fall into the hippo trap, when we fall into the trap of, okay, I'm the highest paid person in the organization, and I'm going to be the person that speaks first and sets the tone, and everyone's going to follow this, you're not going to have a good group dynamic. You're not going to have people that are really sharing and moving it forward. 
I feel as, as a chief executive in a setting like this, one of the most important things for me to do is to step back and let the let the team step forward. I am a part of that, but my voice should probably not be the first one that's heard, and it also should not be the last one that's heard. Because if it's the last one that that's heard, that means everyone assumes that my opinion is the final opinion, and I'm the hippo in the room, and we know that hippos really wreak havoc. So once you've finished the exercise, your last 30 minutes, you're going to talk about what should be in your follow-up document. Your follow-up document probably won't be created right in that 30-minute period. It could be the facilitator that puts together this follow-up document. It also could be the management team that decides to put together this follow-up document, but it should be assigned to someone. And in this follow-up document, you want the draft of the scenario as well as the fictitious decisions that were made. And again, I say they're fictitious because in this exercise, you know, there aren't real-life consequences. What you're doing, though, is you are playing through the scenario as a simulation, and you are seeing, okay, if we do X, what might happen? And then you also will document what you should be doing differently right now. Because sometimes, as you walk through this exercise, you will realize, oh, we can already get an efficiency if we just do this. Or we can generate more dollars if we just do that. So if there's anything that you realize as an organization you should be doing differently now, make sure you document that and come up with a timeline about how you're going to implement it. Also, document those guiding principles that you that both groups used to make decisions in the crisis. And so as you're going through the simulation actually in the activity, people are hopefully talking about guiding principles. Things like, I want impact on staff to be, and, and I'm not saying this should be one of your guiding principles, but someone in the room and the group may agree that impacting staff should be the absolute last resort. Furloughing staff, perhaps, is the last resort. Someone else may say, you know, I believe that impact on our clients is the last resort. So you have those conversations as you're walking through the scenario, and then what you want to do is, is document what principles you use to guide that decision. Because you want to revisit those principles when you actually face the real issue that may come about for your organization in the recession. And then finally, as you've walked through the scenario, people also identified resources for addressing that fictitious crisis. And so document what those potential resources are. It kind of goes back up to the second point as well. Is there something you should be doing now to start to really access those resources? So the last step, and I think this is really critical as a chief executive, is to make sure that you get support. And I'm going to share with you three different ways that I think you could consider getting support. So the first is um, if, there's a, if there's a local executive director group. I know many different communities have local executive director groups. They meet sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. But being a part of a local ED group, I think, is a critically important way for you to get that some support. Additionally, most of us are in areas that have a nonprofit resource center. So you can reach out to that resource center and see what they are doing to provide support. Some might be providing more support than others. For some, it might just be an email list. For others, it might be a mastermind group or some sort of, a, some sort of other group. 
Additionally, and I know in my own life, I've gotten significant support from national associations when I was an executive director, and I would always suggest that folks talk to their national association. See what your association is doing to support executive directors as they are starting to navigate the second year of the recession. And then the last one, and this is also on our website, we've got a coaching group that we are launching next month, should actually be launching the third week of January. And it is all about really helping chief executives navigate this second year of the recession. There's going to be 12 biweekly sessions. We're also going to have a bonus individual coaching session, which will be really tailored to your individual needs. There's going to be a bonus group session that will probably be around thriving after the recession. Um, I will share with you, there's going to be a good bit of licensed materials, whether those are Harvard Business Review articles or books, and participants will get licensed copies of those for, for them to keep, obviously, and any worksheets or tools that we talk about or create as part of the coaching group, you're also going to have access to. Here's just, and this is on the website, just a sneak peek at the curriculum. What you can see, it's everything from crisis to communication to engaging your board and your staff and your funders, and for crying out loud, to not feel overwhelmed about it all. And so this is just a quick sneak peek at the curriculum that we're going to be offering. Just to let folks know, um, currently, the cost to participate is $1,972. On December 31, really after December 31, it goes up to $2,371. And uh, in the very first week of January, we are going to create a scheduling poll. Um, so we will schedule this around a time that will be good for everybody. Or, of course, we'll give them their money back if it ends up not being a good time for them. So one final thing I just want to share with you all before we jump off the webinar today. Here's everything we do at Successful Nonprofits. Obviously, we do coaching. We do board development. We do strategic planning. We have been doing tactical planning for tough times, which is really designed around the recession and transition planning. So that's everything I've got for the webinar. Are there any questions? I'm not seeing any questions, but we're getting lots of thanks. Oh, here's a question. When analyzing the scenario simulation, do you have a few tips around how best to facilitate the conversation? That is such a great question. And um, what I would suggest is ideally your facilitator is the person who is really guiding that conversation for you, whoever that facilitator might be. Um, and I'm not sure if that fully answers your question when you're saying, oh, oh, got it. When So you're saying in the breakout sessions when you're analyzing, got it. I apologize. Sorry about that. So what I, what I would suggest is you let those group dynamics play out while you don't want a group to take 20 minutes to figure out who's going to be the facilitator. Let that happen. If I was the chief executive in one of those groups, I would be very clear that I was going to step back. I was not going to be the facilitator, in part because I would want to see what those group dynamics are as the chief executive, but also because if I'm the facilitator, people are performing for me as the chief executive, and they're not necessarily performing for the group. So I would definitely try to take a step back. Well, thank you so much. I'm super grateful for everyone who shared some time with us today. If you've got questions as follow-up, please reach out to me. Um, I'm always, always happy to answer questions. Thank you so much. Dear listeners, I hope 
that this webinar has been super useful for you and that you have thought about some ways that you can use scenario simulations to stress test your plans and to stress test your concepts. Now, if you are interested in joining the upcoming coaching group on thriving during the second year of a recession, just go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash thrive. We still have a few spaces available for the group that will start in just a couple of weeks. And again, you can do that at SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash thrive. That's our bonus break. I hope you've gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.